Hello, and welcome to another episode of Bobby and Jens. My name is Bobby Julik, and we have a great show lined up for you today with one of the best sprinters of all time, Marcel Kittle. Jens, you ready to do this? Yes, I am. And what a great talk we had. We covered it all. We had a bit of philosophy in there, lessons for life. We had triumph and agony in there. We had it really, we had it all. Marcel was a million times better than we ever could hope for. He was basically the perfect first guest and I can't wait to present our talk to you guys listening to us. So with no further ado, Marcel Kittle. Marcel, it's an honor to have you here, even though it does feel weird to talk in English to my German countrymen. I just could say, herzlich willkommen. You know, let's give you like a quick little welcome in German. Uh, we are absolutely pleased and stoked and honored to have you here to chat along because you are our very first guest. Wow, what an honor. Yeah, thanks for the warm welcome. And uh, yeah, we could always switch to German if you like. Um, but I'm not sure if Bobby likes that. <laughs> yeah, you know, my my last name is German, but that's about the only German word I can say. And I probably mispronounced that uh, compared to you guys. But uh, yeah, it does feel a little weird. I mean, both of you guys uh, make me feel like I'm totally off the back on the, the language front, even though I did actually race for a German team for two years. But um, yeah, Marcel, listen, I know our careers didn't... Uh, you know, our paths didn't cross, you know, obviously we had different talents and whatnot, but I was always a fan of yours. And one of the things that I remember when, you know, when we started to hear the name Marcel Kittle in the professional ranks was, damn, you had good hair. Like your hair always <laughs> looked good. Did you just wake up like that? Or did it, was it, you know, you, you, you had to quaff it in the morning. That was, I was blessed I think with two talents, one was sprinting, the other one was waking up with okay or actually pretty good hair. And uh, I do not invest a lot of time in it. Um, I have to uh, thank my hairdresser. She um, did a great job, uh, you know, especially when I uh, still lived in Germany and I always visited the same place to get my hair done. So that was really good. And she kept the standard really, uh, really high. So yeah, helped yeah, my image. I yeah yeah no that was big i mean i had to hear from it from my wives and my young daughters like who is he who is he he's cute <laughs> so anyway enough of embarrassing you but uh listen marcel i mean there's a million ways that we can go with this but i always find it interesting to kind of hear how our guests got into cycling because we're all here because we love cycling and each of us have a very individual story so I heard that you got into cycling after watching your dad ride, which is, I think, a yeah. very similar sort of thing to myself, to probably a lot of people out there. But what was it about that experience that got you hooked when you saw your dad riding bicycles? Yeah, you know, my my first impression when I saw my dad riding his bike was actually that I would like to do anything in the world, but not cycling because uh, he would ride his bike on weekends, on Sundays when I... You know, thought, oh, it would be nice to sit now with the family and just have breakfast together. He would leave then, uh, start to ride his bike with his friends, sometimes in, you know, in bad weather conditions, cold or rain. 
And I thought, why would he do that? And, and you know, there's, I can't understand it. And um, so I was really far away from it. I wasn't really involved in it, but still there was a point um, when, when I started to actually get curious. And that was when I was about um, 12, 13 years old. Uh, until then, I just did a lot of sprinting, track and field, you know, uh, long jump, high jump, everything um, um, like that, but not cycling at all. But, you know, the track and field stuff got boring at one point. And after uh, actually a holiday in the Alps, <laughs> where I saw my father riding his bike, I, I still got <laughs> curious eventually. And I asked him on the way back after this holiday if he could organize a bike for me just to try it. And his reaction was, you know, a mix of being happy and still being skeptical because he he, he didn't expect that question from me. And, and um, on the other side, he was also very proud that I would maybe follow him um, on the bike. So he got that bike for me and I tried it a couple of times. And the first memory of my first ride with him I have is a hot summer day uh, somewhere in August where we did... A, a training ride of I think 30 kilometers um, and I came home and I was so tired I was so dead I, I, I lay down on the cold kitchen floor on the tiles there and uh, I really put my legs uh, up against the wall and I just tried to enjoy this um, you know this feeling that you get in your legs when when you did yeah back then it was a hard ride for me and i came home and i i felt really happy in that moment and that was the moment where i was really falling in love with the sport wow well you mentioned you mentioned your dad being proud um you got off to a pretty good start there you won the german national uh junior time trial championships and the world championships in the time trial event in 2005 and 2006 that must have been amazing but I did a little digging into that, yeah. and I saw that in 2005, your average speed as a junior, what they listed, was 54.757 kilometers an hour. Is yeah. that true, or was that just some, like, I don't know how you could do that on junior gears, but then again, <laughs> Marcel Kittle. Yeah, it, it must be true, because I think it's in the results. So uh, if you know that um, the... The world championships were in, in, in Austria, which when you hear that, you wouldn't assume that this is a really fast course, but it was in Oberwart, which is in a really flat area. So there was absolutely no hill, nothing. It was just a flat, um, yeah, just time trial. I don't know how long it was, maybe 10, 15 kilometers just out, U-turn and back home to the finish. And I had uh, this this new carbon bike from FES, Jens, for sure, you know that uh, company. They are building um, special bikes for um, yeah for cyclists, but also um, uh, bobsleighs and all that stuff from made from carbon. And yeah, that was my first world champion title, and I'm really really proud of that. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of pain being on the bike there and and riding to that title. So how did it happen that from being like a pretty good time trial because you won actually world championship at juniors and at the under 23 how did how did you end up as a sprinter i mean normally cancelara he's fast but he, he isn't a sprinter you know yeah. and um, so where where was the change when did it change yeah i think what 
a lot of people don't know or don't really realize I've always also had success in sprinting. And actually I started my cycling career when I was 14, 15 years old uh, by getting first wins in those small local criteriums where you, yeah, where, where all you have to be able to do is being good at sprinting to be able to win. And that's what I did when I started my Uh, my sprinting career and also my cycling career. And from that point on, I was a actually a lot of years focused on that. But at the same time, I also developed a talent um, for time trial. And then in the juniors, the victories suddenly became bigger in the discipline of time trial and not in sprinting anymore. And being two times a world champion in the junior uh, category really throw through a whole uh, a big shadow on, on all the other achievements. And from that point on, I was Marcel Kittel, the time trialist and not really the sprinter. And that continued into the under 23. And actually only when I came to the professionals again, and I only got my contract on, you know, with the uh, goal to be a lead out rider for Kenny van Hummel in Ski Shimano in 2011. Um, at that point, point, I started to focus more again on sprinting and, um, you know, gave that mindset a way of being only focused on time trial. Well, I mean, now that you're going to mention 2011, uh, yes, that was quite a breakout year for you. Um, I remember that was the first time that you really popped up on my radar because watching four days of Dunkirk, you won four wins there. You had four wins in, in the Tour of Poland. You won a stage in what I believe was your first Grand Tour, which was the Vuelta. And all yeah. of a sudden... Who is this guy from, you know, Skill Shimano? And when is he going to go get on another team, you know, a, a bigger team? And what, what I found interesting is that, you know, you, you didn't really start looking over the fence at other teams. You, you stayed on that team for, for a while. But, you know, what, what changed in 2011 where you're obviously able to dominate multiple races in, in the sprints? Did you... I don't know, did you grow? Did you change anything in your training? Or was it just a fruition of all the hard work you had done up until that moment? The most important thing uh, for that change for me was that I changed my mindset. Uh, really uh, being focused on, 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 you know, on what a sprinter has to do to be able to, success, to be successful. Uh, because I, you know, when at the end of my under 23 times, I left the under 23 ranks with a bronze medal in time trial in, in, in Australia at the world championships. And I thought I would be a professional now and just try how, you know, to go uh, to come as far as I can. And, um, when I came to the professionals, I had no goals of, you know, winning X amount of races in my first year and for sure not um, being a sprinter and winning races, but As soon as I came to Skishimano, I had really great people around me, especially with Marijn Seemann, who is now a, yeah, a head coach at Jumbo Visma. And he sort of brought that sprinter mentality uh, back to me. And I was, yeah, I suddenly started to focus on being a sprinter and I started to believe in myself. I got early uh, feedback, you know, uh, in regards to my abilities as a sprinter when I 
was suddenly faster in the sprint as our leading team sprinter in training camps. And um, then in our first race, I also won a stage in the Tour of Langkawi in Malaysia. And that all built up over the whole season. And, you know, coming into the team, having no goals, I suddenly had the goal to win a race, for example, in um, the four days of Dunkirk. And that became four stages instead of one. And then you go to World Tour level and you say, okay, in Tour of Poland, I want to win the stage. And suddenly you, you are again successful. So I was always above my goals. And that gave me so much um, confidence and also the whole team so much confidence that we really sort of exploded in our development. And for me, there was no reason to leave that team at that time. You had another really good year, just the following year already, 2012. Um, stage wins in Etoile, Bastage, Oman, Depane, Shelde Prize, and you actually won stage one in the Tour de France, first yellow. Was that a special moment or, well, it's just another win? Uh, yeah, w winning in the, but I believe that was 2013, no? You're talking about now. Yeah. Yep. Sorry, got the year wrong. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that was. Actually, now, I think that was my breakthrough year in terms of Grand Tours. Of course, I won in 2011 already a stage in the Vuelta. But, you know, for a sprinter, it's always important to, to prove yourself again and again and again. And you also want to show yourself and especially against the best sprinters in the world. And I knew that this Yeah, it was for me only the case when I start to win in the Tour de France. So um, getting that breakthrough win also in the Tour in 2013, especially also in combination with the yellow jersey was, yeah, was, was fantastic for me, for the whole team. It was a great experience those three weeks. Um, I have memories uh, from other editions of the Tour de France where I suffered much more than in 2000, 2013. And I think that was also because we had so much success and was were really, you know, on a high going through these um, painful weeks. And like you said, you know, coming off of having the yellow jersey, winning four stages in the tour, you won actually the first stage and the last stage, I believe, that year with uh, winning on the Champs-Élysées. It's kind of hard to back that up, but you did that the next year. Uh, you came out flying again you know, Dubai, Shelter Price, you won two stages in the Giro. Again, you went to the Tour, you won the, the took yellow again, um, won, winning the first stage and the last stage. I mean, how, how do you do that? You just mentioned that a sprinter, you know, once you get a taste of victory, you, you, you're, you have to keep winning. But what I've never understood, because I'm not a sprinter, is You guys are winning, well, you tend to win a, a little bit easier than a lot of the sprints that we see now, but, you know, you're playing with millimeters, with centimeters, and, you know, how did you put yourself in positions so darn consistently to, to be that dominant those two years back to back? Yeah, it's... Oh. <laughs> it's sometimes difficult to answer because I think it's a combination of physical strength, uh, mental strength, uh, teamwork, um, and in the end also luck. Uh, so uh, you try to, you know, really make that factor luck as small as possible. But in the end, you still need it because in a bunch sprint, you know, there are so many guys that want to win and anything can happen 
within milliseconds and uh, you could crash, you could have a flat tire. Uh, yeah, it's there. there's a big chance that some, things can go wrong. And I've always tried to um, keep my my goals realistic to to not, you know, be too um, loud about it and, and build up even more pressure for myself. So I think that helped me to, to handle it. And in the end, I also knew that I have a strong team around me that I can really rely on my teammates and um, just go into the race and try to make the best out of it. And that helped me to really make that pressure smaller, to... Uh, keep the expectations away from me and stay focused on my goal. And I think that was a strength of me. And I was, especially in 2014, very proud that I could handle um, the big, big expectations before the first stage, especially. Um, because, I mean, everything was so big in that year. Jens, you know it, uh, riding there was incredible. So many spectators. Uh, everything was also perfect. The weather was perfect. The location was great. Um, but this final sprint was also, I mean, it was not perfectly flat. And like I said before, many things can go wrong, but still we did it. Uh, we, as a team, survived this big crash I, at the final with Mark and, and Simon Gerrans. And then um, I got a great lead out into the final two or 300 meters. And that was, yeah. I mean, when that happens, that are the moments where you live for as an athlete um, that you want to... Uh, feel feel again and again and um, it's great so um now we talked about a lot of winning and the good times um we raced together in 2014 then i retired i became a commentator in the year uh, 2017 you had a pretty good year in the tour five stages mm -hmm. but i was already commentating and my place was right at the finish line so i saw you coming up the climb like in the mountain stages honestly How often during like a mountain stage, how often did you think I had enough? I'm just going to throw the bike in the rubbish and I'm just going to give up and go home. Or did that <laughs> never cross your mind? Uh, that happens a lot of times, you know, but I mean, it's okay to have that thought in your head un unless you um, don't, you know, leave the race, step off the bike. It, it's, it's totally okay because that's the whole thing about cycling you may you might be maybe millimeters away from stepping off your bike and just throw it into a ditch and just walk home but you don't do it and that's the spirit that you need to survive also these hard days and i've had a lot of them and um uh i can actually say i never quit i always tried to finish um only in 2017 when i had a crash there I really couldn't finish it anymore. And um, so I had to leave the race. But even 2008, 2018, when I, uh, I don't know which stage it was anymore, I had to leave the tour because I was out of the time limit. I really had this goal and it didn't matter how bad it felt for me. I really wanted to just get to the finish and leave the tour with honor, uh, so to say, by just being out of time limit. Um, but I still wanted to try. And that was really important to me. But it's the life of a sprinter too have pain when it goes uphill, especially I had a lot of pain with my weight and everything. I must say, when I watched you, like 
you looked like the living death. You were like so pale and you I could see the pain in every cell of your body. I just actually, I just wanted to hug you and go, come on, I, I give you a little push. <laughs> I really, I felt for you. I could see the pain all over your face and I also could see the determination. You had your teammates around you and you were like, no, I'm just going to keep going. I'm not going to give up. So yeah, I, you know, sometimes like when we commentate, we talk about the race within the race. The climbers, they race for a win. The sprinters, they just race for survival, right? Yeah, On yeah. It's mountain stages. That's that's how it is. And I, uh, I have to admit, I've never had a really good poker face. You know, when it came to um, sitting still in the gruppetto and don't to not show your your pain. I, I just it was just me. So in that moment, you also you you cannot you're not conscious about everything anymore what you do so i really couldn't control my my emotions in my face anymore actually after my in 2011 in the vuelta the stage so after the stage that i won the next day uh, was a pretty hilly not super difficult mountain day and i've had because all the expectation all the pressure was gone and i've totally lost my goal I've had the worst day in my life on a bike uh, until then. And I've cried on the bike. I had three teammates um, around me, but I, I still struggled to get over the climbs. And I just barely made it to the finish uh, within the time limit. And um, that was a big lesson for me because uh, the worst thing you can do as a cyclist and especially as a sprinter in difficult moments is to um, to lose your goal. And in that moment in the welter, I had no goal anymore because uh, I've won already a stage and I was sure that um, after stage 10 or 12, I would leave the race anyway. So I just had to get through that day. But without a goal, it's so hard. And that's really, really important that you stay focused on your goals and also stay positive even in the painful moments. Well, talking about painful moments, we kind of uh, glossed over this because, you know, everyone thinks that every superstar has just clear sailing, like, you know, years and years and years in a row of, of being successful. But, you know, you had great years in three, 2013, 2014, and then 2015, that was kind of an off year from you, for, for you, you had a virus and then you were able to come back. You switched teams. You left your team a year early. You went to ethics quick step, and then you had two phenomenal years again. So, I know it's easy to talk about the the highs because the sport is, you know, so so darn hard. You always want to remember the highs. But tell us a little bit about 2015 sandwiched in between those two amazing um you know, those four amazing years that you had. Yeah, I mean it it was 2015 was a big big lesson for me. I I learned a lot in that year. Uh, about myself, about um, how I want to, um, you know, do my my sports and, and, and my job in the end as a professional as well. And that really helped me in the end. But I also learned that every professional career, and I think it doesn't matter if it's somewhere in cycling or somewhere else in another job, um, it makes it makes no difference because in the end there will be uh, always yeah, highlights, great moments, good experiences, but there will be also difficult periods. And I learned that in 2015. And I think it felt especially hard for me in that year um, because I had 
for incredibly successful years um, before that. And I never really, you know, it never really crossed my mind uh, that, that, that a difficult season um, could happen to me. Uh, I, I wouldn't say I felt invincible, but I, I felt really like, okay, this, like, why, why would it change? I just keep doing what I always did and, and, and the success will, uh, will stay with me. But um, that's, that's, that's wrong. Uh, and I learned it more or less the hard way. And also in 2015, I started the year already, you know, being sick. I, I felt, uh, I felt not really recovered from the years before. And I, I think I honestly also never really uh, could digest the speed of the success that, um, yeah, just the speed that the success had and, and how it's in which speed it came to me. So it, it took me. I think the whole or a big part of the season 2015 to get over it and and just um, you know think about what I want and where I want to be in um, in the next year and at that point I also wrote off the the whole season 2015 already I was focused on you know on change on on on, on getting new goals for 2016 so I decided to change teams I decided to move away from my hometown I changed so many things um, that. Yeah, I think in the end, that was also the base for my success in the year after. And um, that really helped me a lot. Well, I I, uh, I know that those hard times are sometimes those soul-searching times. I mean, Jens had a very, you know, consistently successful career. Um, I definitely didn't. So I, I feel what what it's like to, you know, kind of have an off year. Well, I had quite a few off years, but you know, you having one and then being able to make all those changes and to get back up to that level, if not higher, is is just a, a real a real mark of character. And fast forwarding now past those two successful years, you know, with the the quick step organization and then going into like 2018 and then ultimately your 2019 season when uh, where where you retired. Um, how old were you? Was it you're you're 32 now? Yeah, correct? turning 33 in May. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it caught a lot of people off guard. But I I really had so much respect for you to to look at the situation and say you know hey it's it's time to do something different. And I'm just, you know, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here right now, but how hard or maybe easy of a decision was that to make for you at that time? And have you ever had any, I guess, regrets or second thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. So I've never had any regrets. Luckily, I'm, I'm really happy about that. I, um, I really also took a lot of time in 2019 to... Where, where I try to consider all aspects of my decision to retire. And honestly, my, my first reaction after I, 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 I stopped my contract with Team Katusha Apesin, I, I said, okay, I'm looking for a new team now. So I really wanted to come back and I, I, I thought this, this would be the right step for me at that time. But once you have that freedom, um, of, of, of having no obligations in a team anymore and you really get that time to think about um i i started to 
reconsider my decision to say immediately, okay, I want to go somewhere else and I want to try again because <clears throat> that's, it's, it's also my experience from 2015 when you have this space, this freedom to think about what you want. Um, it, it can actually really help you and you should approach it in a very positive way as, as hard as it sometimes is. In, in 2015, I was really struggling also with myself for um, quite a while. And I, I tried to, you know, make cycling for me, to, to reinvent it for me, to make it a positive experience again. And in the end, it also, um, it worked out in a good way. But in 2019, uh, it was a different situation. I was... Um, yeah, you know, I was four years sort of into the future after 15 and I, um, I knew my girlfriend would, um, is pregnant and we would have a child in December, 2019. So there were suddenly other factors, um, playing a role that are also really, really important to me than only my cycling career. And, uh, these additional four years that I had since 15 also changed things again, you know, in my perspective, how I look on the sport, I've had again, great success. I've, I've reached other important milestones um, that I wanted to reach in my career. And I suddenly, you know, felt that, that flame of motivation that should burn in you for your sport, for all the, um, yeah, for all the things that you have to give up as well. Um, it, it got really small and that made me realize that I, you know, could maybe also consider closing that chapter in my life and start a new one um, focused on my family, but also another um, step in my uh, professional career, um, but not as a cyclist, not as a professional cyclist. And that was, in the end, a very good experience um, because I can really say that I'm very proud on everything that I achieved. I'm really happy for all those years in the professional sport. It taught me a lot. It gave me a lot. I met a lot of great people. Um, I met good and bad experiences, which also helped me grow as a human being. And that's how I see it in the end now as a chapter of my life and um, nothing more and nothing less. And um, I, I don't, I'm, I'm also, what was really important for me was to get out of the sport um, knowing that I am more than only a sprinter, for example, and um, more than only this one role that you have in your life. I mean, you have a lot of roles. Uh, I'm a dad now. I'm, I'm also a student. I'm, I'm, I'm a son. Um, I used to be a professional cyclist. Okay, that one is gone, but uh, there are still plenty of other things that you can be and that you can do. I, 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 I really feel uh, you guys... Marcel, you may be a little bit young, but you probably know Wayne's world. You know, when both of them get down on their knees and say, we're not worthy, we're not worthy. Everything that you just said, I felt like just saying, Jens, we got to get down and, you know, do the we're not worthy because that that was amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. I don't know if I should say that, but yeah, it's just, you know, it was my personal experience, my, you know, my I think that's that's more or less also the summary of of, of what I um, experienced in my professional career. And um, yeah, I've learned a lot and I'm happy about it. It is actually really good to see that you're not bitter at all or that you regret or that you go, oh, I wasted so many years on cycling or I hate this or that, that you come to terms with it. Like it seems for you, your circle of life is closed. And like you said, the chapter is closed. 
but there's too many more adventures ahead of you. It looks like you find your place in life, which is really good to see. Yeah, and you know, I think there is no um, good or bad choice. There is no right or wrong. If other writers, um, <laughs> you're a great example. Yes, if other writers want to continue to write until they are 40, 50, I, that that's totally okay, and it's up to them. And they, everyone has to do what makes him happy. And I really don't judge. I, I also, for example, because maybe a few people think uh, about Mark Cavendish at the moment. You know, why? What is he doing? And 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 why does he do it? I think he just does what he loves at the moment and, and, and he would love to continue his career. And I think it's, it's just perfectly all right for him if he, if he does that. And, um, there is, there is, like I said, no good or bad decision. Um, as long as you do what you love. If you're the kind of cyclist like Yenzi and I, who also likes to ski and hike and ride mountain bikes, check out the new active pass from pocket outdoor media, the parent company, of VeloNews. We're both ActivePass members and we're getting access to exclusive gear discounts, cycling events, training plans, and premium content from Ski Magazine, Yoga Journal, Trail Runner, Climbing, Backpacker, and other pocket publications. You can too. All told, it's a $350 value that normally sells for only $99. But if you enter our special coupon code, Bobby Yen's 25 at checkout, you'll get 25% off. Go to velonews.com forward slash active pass and enter Bobby and Yen's 25. That's B O B B Y J E N S 25. All one word, all lowercase at checkout to receive our special 25% discount. Now back to our chat with Marcel. So now that you closed the chapter cycling, how completely did you close it? Did you actually did you actually throw all trophies into the basement or you still have them at home? How many trophies do you have at home? They are special trophies you still have at home you're specially proud of or like, nah, they just catch dust and I just chuck them away? Mm, I do not have that many in uh, in our home. It's You guys can see some. Um, so... There are a few from the uh, Schelder Preis, um, which I just found really uh, beautiful because they are, um, they look beautiful. They are nice memories. I always love to do that race. Um, I have memories from the, like the medal from the Team Time Trial World Championships uh, in 2016 in, in Qatar, uh, because that was for me a really, really nice uh, memory and a great victory and a very hard victory. Uh, very painful, but um, the gold medal just made it perfect and worth it. So, but but that's it. I do not honestly. I, I don't have the yellow jersey somewhere on my wall. Um, and and so as soon as you leave, like our our office, um, there is not much that reminds me of cycling. And um, we had we, we that was a conscious decision for my girlfriend and me. Okay. Well, question. Um... Obviously, you've moved on in cycling, but do you watch as a spectator now? And if you do, I, I'm really interested to hear when you watch a sprint on TV, are you still 
thinking the way that you used to think? Are you getting excited? Or is it one of those things that when, when you see it, you, you just kind of walk away? I, I mean, th that sport, cycling is, has still a, a big place in my heart. And I think uh, I can really still call me a big fan. And I've just recently watched the race in Almeria. You know, um, to because I I did it myself. I, I know the finish. I I wanted to see it also to see how the sprinters are doing. Um, and when I watched the final, I, I I started to get excited again. And that also last year with the Tour de France. And I will never get rid of that. And I hope I also will never get rid of that because um, that sport is still so important to me. And I still like to ride my bike as well. Um, um, so I yeah. Yeah, I would, I would be really sad if I suddenly don't feel any emotion anymore watching a bike race. So could you, could you still see like one kilometer to go? You go, oh, he's gonna win. Oh, he rested all up. He's not gonna win. Can you see it already from like one kilometer to go? Because I believe you're much more an expert than us when it comes to sprinting. Yeah, I think there is still. I mean, the the game of sprinting uh, and the tactics it's still the same. It it didn't really change. So of course your um, the sprinter's eye that you develop over the years in a professional career it's still there, and um, it, it's just a perspective that has changed. And so I would say, yeah, I can still see it, um, but. I once I started to be a spectator and um, not you know uh, being out of the peloton and not having the feeling exactly anymore for for every rider for every lead out guy and 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 knowing what he would do in a race for example it also gets difficult more difficult to to judge it from the outside but you know the the routines the tactics within the sprint stay the same so um Yeah, it's quite cool to to watch it now from this perspective and see what the guys are doing and how they are adapting to, yeah, for example, the new teams, um, how they find each other, how they work in the first races and a couple of months later when they have more experience with each other. So that's that are interesting dynamics, really. I have to admit that's one of the things that, uh, so I retired 13 years ago and I am an avid fan of the sport. I watch it all the time. And I just sit there, and I don't know, Jens, if you're the same, Marcel, if you're the same, but I just sit there and go, I cannot believe that was me, that I used to do that, that that I didn't see that fear because I'm holding my breath the last 200 meters of of in in a sprint. I'm barely breathing, watching you know my favorite riders go down these crazy descents in the rain with a stage in the tour uh, on the line. Um, it's it, it's crazy how 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 quick it changed but with with everything going on in the sport right now and you know last year we saw a very unfortunate instant incident with with Fabio Jakobsen crashing with um you know in the tour of Poland um it was reported that you watched that over and over again what, what were you trying to work out yeah I mean I know that finish. I know that sprint. Um, I've won there myself, and I. Because I mean, when you watch it live, you see what is happening, and um, what happened there is is terrible. And and yeah, there were immediately there were opinions out there, and and um, people blamed riders, the organization, a lot of parties that are involved in it. 
And I, you know, as a sprinter, I, I try to find an opinion for myself about that sprint, about that finish, about what was going on. And the, the responsibility that you also have when you say something about it is big because uh, in that case, for example, I am the one that, that has experience in that field who can, you know, when I say what I think, then maybe there's a big group of people that believe it. So I, I wanted to be right and I watched it um, a lot of times and every time I watched it, I was shocked about what happened, about how Jakobsen crashed into the barriers there. Um, I mean, it, it looked like like a really, really bad accident, not like a standard sprint crash that you see sometimes. Um, so, um, yeah, there is no doubt that there was a mistake on on, on, on behalf of, of Dylan Brunewegen and um, he, he cut that line, so the rules are clear. But um, I think it was also a combination of really... Yeah, unlucky decisions in that in that split second that you have to take as a sprinter with um, with a finish that is really dangerous. Um, I remember when I had to sprint there, um, I had sometimes to dive under the hands of spectators on the side of the road. And um, yeah, I'm as terrible as it was. I'm in some sort of way happy that the uh, responsible parties, UCI, um, but also the uh, riders' representation, realized that this has to change, um, and, and new rules are going to be introduced for the new season. So that is, yeah, it it took it took a really really bad accident to happen um, to to change something for the better. I hope in the in the future um, for the sport, for the riders, for everyone. And um, I think nobody wants to see that again. Hey, Marcel, a lighter question now. Um, now that you're retired, um, do you every sometimes you still wake up and go, geez, I love to go out on my bike and you take your bike? Like for me, it took me a long time to like, like you mentioned the word before, reinvent the fun of cycling. You know, like I needed a break from it, for my head more than my body. And now I'm I'm back at it, but it took me a while to go. I love to go back on a bike. How is it with you now these days? Now I mean we have winter here now in Europe, and it's pretty cold. <laughs> it's not, uh, especially when you're not somewhere in the south in Spain. Um, it's not really the uh, perfect, uh, not the perfect conditions uh, to go out on a bike when it's minus five degrees, but. Uh, I try to keep it fun then and, and, you know, go on weekends on a gravel bike or on a mountain bike, but I know what you mean. And it's, it's difficult because at the beginning, when you, when you retire, the reasons to ride, they are suddenly gone because you have no race to prepare for. Um, you have no, no kilograms to lose, to get ready for the next season. And, um, yeah, you, you need to find other reasons to ride. And I just try to, know make um yeah appointments uh, with friends to ride on a bike and um i also for example today had this moment of um uh, of of or this desire to go out on the bike because i i was outside and i suddenly realized hey it's not it's not minus five anymore it's just plus five degrees you have this smell of spring in the air and it's it, it feels warm the sun sun gets out and that are the moments where it's really nice to be out on a bike for two three hours and just ride a couple of kilometers. That's what it's all about is, you know, it, it takes everyone, I think a different period of time to to realize, but 
in deep down, we're, we're all cyclists. We still love doing it. And finding that way to, you know, go out with your friends or get on the gravel or the mountain bike. But the hard part is realizing how fit you used to be and how unfit you are now. <laughs> that, 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 that's, that's a little difficult because I'm still, I still have a power meter on my bike and I look down every once in a while. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm really unfit right now, but I got a smile on my face. I'm hanging out with my buddies. I'm making new friends through the world of cycling, um, having experiences and creating new memories. I mean, that's what it's all about. And just, just to end on, yes, again, another good note, you already mentioned Shelter Price. That's the one race that you just, I think you won it, what, five times. Mm -hmm. What was so, like, how, how did you do that year after year after year? I mean, five times, it, one race, everybody knows that you won the year before, that you're good at it and they're, they're aiming for you. What was it about that race that, that you think you figured out and no one else did? I don't know. Maybe the smell of beer and, and, and Belgian fries at the finish motivated me that much <laughs> that, I, that I always wanted to be first there. But uh, I think if you go into a race with the goal, for example, to to win it five times in a row, you will never achieve that. Uh, so I think I I always sort of did it step by step and and and, and chance by chance and. Every time again, I, I knew that, you know, once you are a year later at the race again, it all starts from zero. You have to prove yourself. You have to stay focused on your goal and um, not think about your victory before the year before, because that is, yeah, that is the past. Nobody's interested in that anymore. And um, with that mindset, I think I, I could always, you know, get a good um, strategy with my team for the final because that final is very chaotic and um, you know just be successful for five times almost five times in a row it was three times in a row and then another two times with one year in between in 2015 where I wasn't successful not even at the start I think um, yeah so I really have great memories and um, yeah that's why some of the trophies are still here in our apartment awesome at these, um, you call them a chaotic sprint uh, finishes. Like me as a non-sprinter, I, I try to get into your head. Let's say like for the last two or 300 meters of that sprint, did you always knew where everybody else is? If they're coming up, if they go slower, if they're on the right, or on the left, the wind, what the lead out man gonna do next? Did you, you were aware of all these little factors, like a situation awareness? Or you just trusted your luck and said, eh, close my eyes and push through it. Or did you have like all these informations inside your head? No. Nah. Nah, so if I would have all these informations in my head, I think I would I would not even finish in the top 20 because that just makes it crazy. A lot of that, um, of those decisions are really in the moment. They are instinct. They are a gut feeling, um, something. Yeah. I mean, that's what professionals do. They are trained they train so much and, and for so many years that many decisions just become routine that you don't have to take consciously anymore. You just, hey, you just, you just do it. And then afterwards, if some people ask me, yeah, what did you do then in the sprint? And why did you do it? I said, I don't know. Sometimes really I had no clue. I, I couldn't really remember anymore when I did what. So I had to watch the video. Um, and I think that's, that's the secret, um, that you just remember a few basic rules like, sounds stupid, but keep your front wheel free 
you know when you want to go uh, that's that's yeah it's it's very it can be a very hard rule to follow um to not get boxed in and then time it right um from the right position and trust your power and i think that's what i did also a lot of times i could trust my power to also sometimes make up a bad position come more from behind and still have the power to to win it and i think that helped me there I don't understand a word that you just said. <laughs> Honestly, like it just went so far over my head. Like, keep your wheel free. Gosh, maybe that was my problem, Yenzi. I was always boxed in, you know, with all those no, other No, your problem were these oval chain rings. Oh, don't hate on those. Don't hate on those. Come on, I still have them on my bike. <laughs> We've taken up, you know, a good chunk of your amount of time. But I just have to say, I, I do believe that in order to get to a happy place, every rider feels when it's time to stop. And you have absolutely aced that transition from current pro to former ex-pro. But there, there's a lot of guys right now um, waffing with that decision. And one of them is Tom Demolin. Um what what advice would you give Tom and and other riders towards the end of their career to make as successful of a transition from on the bike to off the bike? One of the things I learned and I think there that is really really important is to take the time if you have the time. So I think the step that Tom took now leaving the team. Um, yeah, for for an uncertain uncertain time, uh, is is absolutely absolutely the right one to find out what he wants to get the distance um, between you and the bike uh, and and this professional life, and figure out what you want, and that involves talks <laughs> with yourself, with your friends, with um, maybe an expert uh, um, like a like a like a therapist to, to not 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 because it's a because you're ill but you sometimes need a sparing partner just like with boxing you know to talk about what you think and discuss it and they're also there there's no good or bad there's just what you want and you need to find out what you want and um, if you take that time you you will come up with a feeling for what could be a good decision for you and you will not find 100% certainty in it. Um, also, I wasn't 100% sure. And on the day when I announced my retirement, I was, let's say, 95% sure that this is the right decision, but I had no guarantee that after two years, it would maybe um, uh, make me feel really sad and and, and, and uh, gave me the impression that I maybe did the wrong thing. But yeah, I think the time is necessary. And of course, you also need to... Um, Think about the plan B, at least to have a, a bit of an idea where you would like to go. And I really hope, I mean, now is a really difficult time with the Corona pandemic and um, professional cycling, you know, is, is in a difficult situation like many other um, yeah, professional uh, uh, areas as well. Uh, there are not many races, the teams are struggling sometimes and um, many guys are losing also their jobs. So um, it's a big challenge and that topic is really up to date at the moment and, and, and a lot of riders and also staff members, for example, are um, probably thinking about what their next step could be. And um, I hope 
that uh, yeah that every one of them can find a a good plan b for for maybe a life after the sport but i know how difficult it also can be so i wish them a lot of luck and also tom um of course a lot of luck for the difficult decisions he maybe have to, has to take we don't know marcel we i think we took enough time of you it was absolutely fantastic to talk to you and you actually were like a million times better than we expected. We expected <laughs> you to be great, but you were like a million times better than great. We are so happy that we had you on the show, Marcel. We cannot thank you enough. And it was so good to chat to you and to hear that you're in a good place, that you find your balance in life. Thank you very much. I also enjoyed the talk. <laughs> so thanks again to Marcel. But now we come up to the segment of the show that I know everyone has been waiting for. The hashtag shut up legs award for this past week. Jens, who's your pick? My pick is Mark Cavendish. First of all, simply because I like him a lot. And second, I mean, just look at the story behind it from almost written off, almost being without a team, not knowing what the future holds for him. He is back riding in the peloton and fighting his way back up to the top. So he is my Shutter Blacks rider of the week. Oh, that's going to be tough to beat. That's going to be tough to beat. You're absolutely right. I mean, he's back with the Wolfpack now. He, he's got his smile back. He's got his swagger back. There was a little bit of bad luck there in Almeria, but uh, we'll see him back on the on the grid here pretty quick. I am going to go with kind of an obvious one, Ivan Souza, winning the stage of the Tour de Provence that finished up on Chalet Renard, which is, you know, three quarters of the way up Mont Ventoux. This guy is definitely another one of those Colombian wonderkins. He's been on the team for a couple years. He hasn't really come through with the promise, but the way that he climbed and the way he got that gap and the way he maintained that gap all the way to the finish, he is my Shut Up Legs Award winner of the week. Of course, we want to invite all of our listeners and followers to give us their advice and their ideas. Please, people, find your rider of the week, the one that deserves the title Chalablex in your point of view. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens. Hashtag Chalablex. And we are happy to look at all the ideas you guys are going to bring us up. The show was a Velo News production in association with Shocked Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne. And this episode was edited by Kirk Warner. Stay tuned next week for another great guest. Until then, all the best. Yenzi, have a great week. We'll talk to you next Friday. Thanks for listening to Bobby and Jens. And please spread the word.